Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Peddling Fiction Podcast, and I am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita, flying solo once again, fresh off uh, Cyber Monday, Black Friday, and a very nice Thanksgiving. Hope everybody had a nice holiday and a holiday weekend. My... um. Mine was great. My uncle really goes all out for Thanksgiving. It is his bread and butter. He does two birds. Got a smoked turkey and a regular roasted turkey. Several different kinds of homemade cranberry sauce. Homemade is the only way to go. Uh, People who eat their cranberry sauce out of a can, that is albino level of white trash. It is unbelievably easy to just make some fresh cranberry sauce and you can jazz it up any way you want, maybe with a little orange zest or some ginger. We had one with chipotle peppers in it. It's fantastic. Vanilla, you name it. Endless. It's an endless blank canvas for deliciousness. And there are people on Thanksgiving that just open a can and plop out this gelatinous glob onto a plate. I mean, Jesus, give me a break. But anyway, I always love the Thanksgiving weekend, even though I'm stuck here in Chicago and I am not back down in Mexico where I belong, because it gives me a lot of time to just sort of reflect on the excesses of capitalism and and just how great we really have it. Um, I, I talked last episode on the one I dropped on Thanksgiving about some of the things I'm thankful for. And it really is just amazing, the economy that we have. The I mean, Black Friday alone. I mean, granted, it is the, the most lemming day of the year, maybe aside from voting, <laughs> aside from election day. Black Friday is when all the lemmings come out, camping out in front of stores the night before, Three o'clock in the morning, they're pitching a tent so that they can get themselves a hundred dollars off on a big screen TV or something. Running in there like crazed herds of maniacs. It it, it is so not for me, um, and I guarantee you, <laughs> I, I know for a fact that ninety nine percent of the people that get all excited about Black Friday that line up in front of Best Buy or Walmart the night before get all these Black Friday deals, have no idea why Black Friday is called Black Friday. And once again, that is a cornerstone of being a lemming. 
doing something over and over and over again, um, obsessing over it and not knowing the, the first thing about it, not knowing why you, why they call it black Friday. You would think when you're sitting in line for six hours in the middle of the night, you might ponder, huh? Yeah, why do they call this Black Friday? <laughs> it's not just because black people love it, <laughs> okay? There is an actual significance as to why it's called Black Friday. And the reason is, um, the story goes at least uh, in my lifetime, that on Black Friday, that is the day where all of these retailers actually make it into the black in terms of profit and loss, Okay, so for those of you millennials out there who don't understand the profit and loss system or how it's recorded, um, when you're profitable, you record that in black ink. And when you are taking losses, those are typically recorded in red ink. Okay, so the theory goes up until Black Friday, all of these major retailers for the year, they're in the red ink. They haven't turned a profit yet. And then they have this big blowout sale Black Friday, they finally make it into the black for the year. They start turning a profit. So that's why it's called Black Friday for all you lemmings out there who are just more concerned about getting a discount on on electronics or whatever it was that you were shopping, who also probably never give uh, a moment's thought to the role of free market enterprise, the role of capitalism, of private property rights that I mentioned on last week's show for bringing all those goods to market, all of those cheap electronic goods. Uh, the, the, the stores here, they're stocked. All the shelves are stocked with goods. Yeah, sure, they might run out after thousands of people run through the store, but those shelves are full. Those stores are stockpiling goods. They're stockpiling capital that, that, that people have saved and invested in to, to bring to market. And the same thing goes with Thanksgiving, the meal itself, the excesses of capitalism. We stuff ourselves to the gills. You're, you're fat with turkey and stuffing and corn casserole and green bean casserole and gravy and uh, pie. Too many pies to count. Uh, French silk pie, pumpkin pie, apple pie. Ooh, some apple pie a la mode with some cinnamon ice cream. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This is what capitalism does. You think they're having uh, a nice Thanksgiving meal over in Venezuela? You think they can just stroll down to the store and pick themselves up a 25-pound turkey? Hell no. Those shelves are barren. They're empty. In fact, I just saw an article yesterday. The the, the school kids are passing out from starvation over there. Because they haven't eaten in days. Forget about stuffing themselves silly till you have to undo your belt and loosen your pants. They haven't had a meal in two, three days. And they're, they're passing out one after another in class during a presentation here from the article. And you'll have to excuse the, the language. I'll try to read it as best I can. It, it's a poor translation, you can tell. But I think you'll get the gist of it. Okay. Uh, Tons of kids filed into their college courtyard to listen to a neighborhood Catholic bishop lead prayer. By the tip of the 15-minute ceremony, five youngsters had fainted and two of them had been whisked away in an ambulance. 
The faintings on the major college have turned into a daily prevalence as a result of so many college students coming to class without consuming breakfast or even dinner the evening earlier. Venezuela's devastating six-year financial disaster is hollowing out the varsity system as soon as the satisfaction of the oil-rich nation and, for many years, an engine that made the nation one of the upwardly sell within the area. These faculties, prior to now, supplied youngsters even in distant areas with a strong shot on the nation's greatest universities— which in flip opened doors to high American faculties and a spot amongst Venezuela's elite. Starvation is simply one of the many issues chipping away at them right now. Thousands and thousands of Venezuelans have fled the nation in recent times, depleting the ranks of scholars and academics alike. Most of the educators who stayed have been pushed from their their career, their wages made practically nugatory by years of relentless hyperinflation. In some locations, barely a hundred college students present up at faculties that after taught thousands. I think they mean before they they used to teach thousands of kids. Now they're down to like a hundred, a couple hundred kids. So like, you know, less than 10% of these kids are going to school now. You know, actually I have a video. I'm going to play a, a video from YouTube that I came across the other day. It's a guy from Venezuela that actually got out of there a few years ago. And I can't really say anything that he doesn't say better than him. So I'm just going to play And I'm not going to shut up about this because I think it's too important. For whatever reason, this ongoing debate of capitalism versus socialism persists today. I I can't believe it. But we we are losing this battle here in America. We are losing to socialism. And I I just want to give you a glimpse as to what's ahead if we continue down the road we're going. Because what what you're about to hear is commonplace now, every day in Venezuela, and has been for the last several years. We're talking six years or so of of this going on. Just a, a monumental collapse of a once rich nation. My name is Daniel DiMartino, and I am here to tell you that socialism destroyed my life in Venezuela. It can destroy yours here as well. More than half of young Americans now support socialism. And I know most have good intentions, but this ideology and its policies will lead to disaster like they always have. I was born in 1999, the same year that Hugo Chavez took power in Venezuela. Chavez pledged to make life better for the poor by giving food housing, utilities, healthcare, and education, all for free. He promised to take away from the rich, who according to him, have become wealthy at the expense of the poor. But as he nationalized supermarkets, put price caps on groceries, and subsidized others, shortages became rampant. First, people began lining up for hours to buy food. Then they lined up for what was left, the trash. Yet, politicians like Bernie Sanders say... Sometimes American journalists talk about how bad a country is because people are lining up for food. That's a good thing. In other countries, people don't line up for food. The rich get the food and the poor starve to death. I had to make those lines Bernie Sanders talked about. And it wasn't because I was rich, but because politicians like him destroyed my country. I lined up for hours in a grocery store just to be denied purchasing all the flour and toothpaste I wanted to buy because it was more than the government quota. You see, in America, many take things for granted, like water and electricity. 
in Venezuela, I went three whole weeks without any water in my apartment, and blackouts would occur every week. I can remember being an eight-year-old child and not having milk at home because we couldn't find it anywhere. The government raised the minimum wage hundreds of times in just a few years, so college and high school teachers and doctors were making the same as fast food workers and other entry-level jobs. The consequence was that I went days without classes because the teachers had to quit to do easier jobs where they got paid the same. Doctors were hard to find in hospitals because they had all left our country. As the government was put in charge of more and more industries and destroyed our economy, people became increasingly dependent on government handouts and government employment. Millions were hired by the government to do useless tasks in useless agencies such as the Vice Ministry for Supreme Social Happiness or the Ministry for Socialist Transformation. These handouts and increased government spending radically bankrupted our nation and led the government to print money in the central bank to pay for these handouts and its employees. As a result, inflation skyrocketed and my family's purchasing power was destroyed. We went from making $4,000 a month in the year 2000 to $2 per day in 2016. I want you to imagine for a second. You've lost 60 pounds in the last year because you cannot afford to buy food, even while working full time. Your mom is sick, but you can't find her medicine. And your wife cannot breastfeed your newborn son because she hasn't eaten in all day. All while your friends and even your family escape in the country however they can. This is the life of an average Venezuelan today. Socialism did reduce inequality, but it made everyone equally poor. And socialism always ends in tragedy and disaster, of course. That is why in 2016, I, at the age of 17 years old, I left Venezuela to come to America. And like me, more than 4 million Venezuelans have had to flee the country in just the last few years. Over 12% of our population. That is the equivalent of nearly 40 million Americans being forced in this country. And that is why I am concerned for America. In America, the radical left says that it wants Nordic socialism, but their proposals are much closer to Venezuela than Denmark. Medicare for all, a wealth tax, government jobs for everyone, an ever-increasing minimum wage, and double government spending for a Green New Deal. All these policies rooted in resentment of economic success the same resentment that led to our demise in Venezuela. Unlike in Venezuela, they will gradually destroy America and implement it by bankrupting the country and giving too much power to the government. Venezuela did not become a land without opportunity from one day to the next, but it took two decades of socialist policies like this. In the same way, socialists won't usher all their destruction one day in America, but one by one they will push and implement these policies. If they are successful, America will suffer the same fate of Venezuela. If you think I exaggerate and the record isn't enough for you to understand it, Venezuelans elected Chavez democratically, but like with all socialists, the first is the last free and fair election. In 1999, when he took office, the naive majority said we would never become like Cuba, but we would bring the poor out of poverty. Yet, today Venezuelans are poorer than humans. Now the common saying in Venezuela is that we were rich, but we didn't know it. I don't want America to suffer the same fate, neither should you. This great country is in your hands, so I ask you to join me and guarantee 
that America never becomes a socialist country. Okay, well, God bless him for, for trying. That is from the, uh, I think it's called the Youth, uh, um, no, Young Adolescents Against Socialism is the group that put that out, for, for those of you that are wondering. But the problem is, he, he's saying that we, we want to make, make sure America is never a socialist nation. I mean, we're already there. We're already there. I mean, we've we're, we're so much closer to full blown socialism we are, than uh, free market capitalism right now. It, it, it's really unbelievable. It's actually scary. It's scary, and we have a whole generation of young people coming up. Uh, more than half of them support socialism. More than seventy percent of them would vote for a socialist candidate, and you can see it in the the Democratic uh, nominees. They're they're all a bunch of socialists. And the Republicans, not a whole lot better. They're still socialists, too. They just want to spend your money on something else. Uh, they want to uh, spend it on defense or um, bombing democracy into the Middle East, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Uh, there's no Republicans that are cutting that stuff. Uh, there's no talk of cutting any of that. Uh, th- these guys are all socialists, all of them. You know, socialism and capitalism seems to be this eternal debate that we keep having. It never goes away. Socialism is the like the dumbest ideology ever, and it just won't die. It keeps coming back into fashion like some bad haircut. Like the flock of seagulls is making its way back into mainstream society. And I, I, I'm not going to stop talking, bringing up examples like Venezuela and, and comparing it to... Places like America, which still has some semblance of capitalism in it, even though we we become much more uh, aligned with socialism over the years. Because for some strange reason, all of our grocery store shelves are stocked. We have everything that we need. And when you go over to Venezuela, they've got nothing. The shelves are empty. You have to wait in line hours to to buy a, a, a bag of flour if you're lucky. Um, it, that is, if you're if they have it on the shelves, and they probably don't by the time you get there, and so then you have to go dumpster diving for scraps. That's your Thanksgiving. You can eat some garbage out of a hot, oh, disgusting dumpster. Think of how hot garbage tastes in Venezuela right now, and you and that's that's socialism. And then think of the Thanksgiving meal that you just had the other night. That's capitalism. I, I don't think you, you could come up with a, a clearer juxtaposition than that. And so on Thanksgiving going forward, uh, over the long weekend, just take a second and, and really think about what makes all the whole Thanksgiving day possible, all, all the things that you enjoy, all the things that you're thankful for. Uh, what brought that about? What, what sort of economic system uh, brought that about? Was it a top-down uh, command economy? where there's some guy with a bullhorn barking out orders, organizing everything? Or was it a bunch of free people coming together voluntarily, acting in their own self-interest that brought you that Thanksgiving feast, that brought you stores that are stocked to the gills with gadgets and food and everything that you could possibly want at a, at a, at a very reasonable price? Uh, which one was it? Which ideology brought you that? Because from where I'm sitting, one ideology, one system, 
produces things, produces goods, and the other one can only take from what that other system has produced and distribute it to other people. It doesn't create anything. It just consumes. It destroys wealth. It destroys what was created. And in the process, uh, a very small amount of politically connected people get rich while everyone else gets equally poor. Um, but, but anyway, uh, so yeah, Black Friday. <laughs> I didn't plan on going on that little jag there, but Black Friday is called Black Friday because that's when the retailers, um, at least in theory, make it into the black. Retail is almost officially dead here in the United States. It's it's getting to the point where even on Black Friday, all those lemmings have finally figured out that you could just stay home and click the mouse. It, you don't have to wait in line to get those deals. You you can just go on Amazon or you can go on Walmart's website and you can buy from there. <laughs> that took them long enough. I, I haven't gone shopping in years, in years. I just... Amazon, couple clicks, boom, it's at my door within two days. It's insane. It's insane how our lives have changed just from one company, from Amazon, who started selling books at a bookstore, <laughs> okay? And, and now everything, everything I get in my life comes through that, that store. Uh, just think to 10, 15 years ago when I was in college, none of this stuff was even possible. Um, Cell phones, we, we barely used cell phones back then. There, there, were, like, there wasn't even a smartphone. There were flip phones that you still see in like TV shows and stuff for the effect of just flipping open and closing the phone. But I, I couldn't go on Amazon and just order stuff and have it delivered to my door. I had to go out and go shopping. It was brutal. You ever seen the people of Walmart? <laughs> I mean, it's fun to look at pictures of them on the Internet, but I don't want to run into them in person. Not if I can avoid it. And just think of how much better our lives are because of the excesses of capitalism that gets such a bad rap in society today. All, all these young kids who take everything for granted, uh, millennials and whatever comes after them, X or Z or whatever, I, I, who cares? doesn't matter. Uh, all, all these spoiled little brats take everything in our lives for granted. And I think... You know, in the wake of Thanksgiving, it's important to reflect on just how good we have it and why we have it that good. We do not have it that good because we embraced communal living and um, the, the government controls the means of production and we take from the rich and we give to the poor. And we distribute all this wealth top down from some politician. You know, Bernie Sanders takes from the billionaires and he starts handing it out to the poor. No, no, no. Putting people above profits, absolutely not. That's not what brought us all of the amazing things that you have in your life right now. For all you kids out there who are sitting at Starbucks right now with your latte on your supercomputer phone, texting away, twittering away, getting on the Instagram and the Snapchat or whatever it is you kids do these days. I still have no idea how Snapchat works. I'm afraid to touch it. Um, while you sit there and you rant of the evils of capitalism whilst in, ensconced from head to toe uh, every moment of your life in the glorious excesses of capitalism, what brought us all of this wealth 
all of this opportunity, all of the great things, all of the luxuries that we enjoy that no other human up until this point had enjoyed for thousands of years. We live better than 99.9% of people, even the poorest people in America live better than 99.9% of people that have ever walked the earth. All of that was made possible from the, the free market, people voluntarily interacting in their own self-interest, putting profits above people. Yeah, I know. It, it's be, The only reason we have things is because somebody wanted to make a profit. <laughs> you know, you better hope that that somebody wants to make a profit from curing cancer if you ever want to have a cure for cancer. Somebody's not just going to do that out of the kindness of their heart. They're going to do it because they want to they want to make a profit. They want to get rich. And God bless them. I hope somebody gets rich curing all sorts of diseases. You know, if if I was dying of of pancreatic cancer, and somebody came up with a cure for it and made billions of dollars from pancreatic cancer cure, I'm going to begrudge them? Of course not. They just saved my life. They just saved thousands of lives of, of your loved ones. It really is unbelievable the rap that capitalism gets in today's society and the praise that socialism gets, the, the undeserved praise. Everything you have in your life that you value right now, material possessions, you have because somebody wanted to make a profit. Okay, you have nothing uh, of value, uh, no material goods of value in your life that were the result of socialism. None whatsoever. (laughs) Okay, Um, everything that's produced is produced because somebody wants to make a profit. And I know I've, I've made the economic case for capitalism over socialism Uh, several times on this show. It will continue to be a theme. I will point out instances of it when I can and and specific examples when appropriate. I obviously can't go through all of it in every episode. It would just take way too long, which is why you have to listen every week. But, you know, there is this idea among, especially among naive kids today, that, that socialism is... You know, even if they seed the economic argument, which they're a bunch of economic illiterates anyways, so they probably won't. But even if they did, uh, they seem to think that socialism has this moral high ground over capitalism. And even that's not true. Uh, Socialism is it loses on an economic level and it loses on a moral level. It's evil. Okay, it really is evil because at its core, what, what socialism is, is force. Okay, it must be implemented by force. There is no room for capitalism or any other sort of ism within socialism. It is their way or the highway. It is what what makes it so evil is that it's a direct violation of individual rights. Okay, you're not free to pursue your own self-interests under socialism. You have to do what you're told. You get orders coming from the top down. Capitalism is the ultimate expression of, of the rights of the individual. You can pursue your own interests so long as you don't tread on the rights and interests of others. And I always, I always thought that like the most compelling argument for libertarianism, anarcho-capitalism, was that contrary to popular belief, we're not claiming that without a government, life would be a utopia. Or if you're a minarchist with a limited government, we, we would be living in this utopia. Because everybody's utopia is different, okay? We are, we are so f- different as a people. 
that there can never be two people that agree on what utopia is. Maybe you can get two people, but you're not going to get 10,000 people to all agree, right? So your utopia could be different from my utopia. But the beautiful thing about libertarian philosophy is that's fine. I can pursue my utopia as long as I don't interfere with your ability to pursue yours. So within libertarianism, within anarcho-capitalism, you can have your socialist little utopia. You can have your commune. You can carve out a plot of land. You can get together with all your socialist buddies, and you guys can um, work the land together. You can um, take all of the crops and everything and put them all together and divvy them out from each according to his ability to each according to his needs knock yourselves out. You just can't force that on anybody else that doesn't want it. It has to be voluntary. So what's wrong with that? Why can't we do that? Why do you have to enforce your will on everybody else and call it democratic socialism? As if putting the word democratic in front of socialism makes it any better. And democracy, as I've gone over on, on previous episodes, is a horrible way of organizing society. It really is just majority rule. It's two wolves and a sheep deciding on what's for dinner. It's 51% of the population telling the other 49% how to live their lives. Oh, what's so moral about that? Majority does not necessarily mean right. Might doesn't make right. Majority doesn't make right. There was a time in this country where the majority of people thought that slavery was okay. Okay? I mean, who knows what, how wrong the majority could be. Just because more people think it's a good idea does not make it right. It doesn't make it moral. Socialism is based off of theft. You have to take from people and give to others. There's no way around it. There is no way around it. And the morality of theft doesn't change simply because you think you have a great cause for why you are robbing somebody. All right? It doesn't become any less wrong for me to steal from you if I think I have a really good idea of what to do with the money or, the, uh, or whatever I took from you. Right? It's still wrong. It's still theft. And just the, the simplicity of just trying to say, oh, I want it to be democratic, as if like we want to vote, we want to vote socialism in, as if that's going to make it work, or that's going to change the dynamics of it. It's not. It's not. There's nothing noble about democracy. There's nothing moral about democracy. I mean, I used to tell all these jokes where I would just take something really horrible and put the word democratic in front of it to change the meaning. You know, I'd be like, uh, gang rape is just a democratic orgy. <laughs> Stuff like that. I mean, does that really change the dynamic of it? That's all it is. It's a democratic orgy. Is it okay now for five guys to, to have sex with one woman because they outvoted her? Democracy prevailed? Is it not still rape if she doesn't want it? So we have to sacrifice one person for the good of the other five. What's the big deal, right? Well, I can think of at least one person who would think it's a big deal. Of course, it's still rape. And just because that one person doesn't have the majority doesn't mean that their rights don't matter, that their individual rights don't matter, that they can be violated in the name of democracy. 
So just putting the word democracy in front of things and, and expecting that to gin up all of these wonderful images of harmony and, and, and just utopia, it, it, stop it. it. It's nonsense. And we as libertarians have to find a way to reach these younger generations of people because I keep seeing these polls. And it's no surprise that all of these kids coming out of government schools are huge proponents of socialism. It's become fundamentally trendy to be a socialist and decry the alleged ills of capitalism. And it's just, it's unbelievable to me. The level of cognitive dissonance, the disconnect between uh, people's everyday lives, uh, what what brings all of the, the great things to their lives, and, and how they can somehow blame capitalism for all the bad things in their lives when we live in the greatest time to ever be alive and it's because it's literally because of of the free enterprise system and if you just take a look at the you know all of the examples throughout history of, of these socialist countries and i don't i'm not even going to compare you know like apples to or like america to venezuela okay fine two completely different countries uh, what about chile versus venezuela or, or play, like East, East Germany versus West Germany. I mean, these are the exact same people. This is one country. We just drew an arbitrary line down the center of it, and things drastically change. Completely different outcomes. One side has to build a wall to keep people in and has to shoot them to, to prevent them from leaving, and the other side flourishes. Uh, the same thing goes with South Korea and North Korea. These are the exact same people. Uh, governments just got together and drew an arbitrary line down the middle of the country and all and fast forward 40 50 years all of a sudden south koreans are like 6 inches taller than north koreans the life expectancy is like 14 years longer hang on let me pull this up people living in the most this is according to the um the economic freedom of the world publishes this index of the most free countries right uh, they analyze the numbers behind all the economies and they, they compare the different countries and everything like that. And the most economically free countries, the most capitalist countries, also just happen to live on average 14 years longer. They have an infant mortality rate that's six times lower. They enjoy greater political and civil liberties, gender equality, and all that, all that stuff too. But just all of the, all of the measures point toward capitalism, toward freedom, and away from socialism, away from a, a, a commanded economy. Um, I mean, there's a million. You have Taiwan versus Maoist China, Costa Rica versus Cuba. The list goes on and on uh, of these juxtapositions. It, even when you just have the exact same country and you just draw a line through it, I, I just it is unbelievable to me that we still have to debate this. That we still have to talk about this. No matter how many times socialism fails, people expect it to succeed. It's the definition of insanity. And then, of course, you all, I'm sure I'll get the same tired arguments by pointing to all those countries that I just rattled off. Oh, well, that wasn't real socialism. That wasn't real socialism. I'm not talking about that kind of socialism. I'm talking about Denmark and Norway and yada, yada, yada. Listen. First of all, as far as the the Nordic countries are concerned, okay, they are higher on that economic index that I was just talking about than the United States in terms of economic freedom. Oh yeah, we we've dropped 
So like we're, I think we're barely in the top 20 now. All those countries are ahead of us. But they were also very free market oriented, very capitalistic decades ago. And as tends to happen when countries become successful and, and they're um, enjoying all the fruits of capitalism's labor, then they start to implement these socialist policies and, and socialism starts to wean its way into the, the economy and starts to drag it down. It's like the siren song of socialism. It's something that I, we really have to come to terms with. It's one of the reasons why I'm an anarchist. Uh, yet another reason is that the, the more successful you are by using capitalism, if you have a government that, that feeds itself off of tax revenue, well, it's just going to keep growing and growing and growing the more successful the society is. We saw it in America. We see it everywhere. The, the government grows exponentially as the country grows, as the country, because the tax revenue, the tax base is growing. So now they have more money to play around with. And government just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then the politicians come out and they start with all this, the redistributive. I don't want to say redistributive because they're not redistributing it. It wasn't distributed in the first place. It was earned. But these politicians come out and they want to start uh, buying votes, handing free stuff to everybody. And, and socialism just begins to eat away at, at a once successful country. So there's definitely a, a problem with that dynamic. I don't, I don't know if you can have um, a government and free markets interacting at the same time Be, because the government will grow out of control as the, the, the country becomes more successful because of the free enterprise system, and then the government will grow and drag it back down into Venezuelan status at some point, and then we'll probably start over again. Uh, let's just... Cut out the cancer. Get rid of the government. How about that? But anyway, what people like to do with these Nordic countries is they just take a snapshot. They ignore the, the, the 60 years of capitalism before that, and they take a snapshot uh, of, of it right now as socialism is starting to wean the, the capitalism out of, this, out of the economy. And, and their numbers are down. They're not as productive as they were. They're not as rich as they were, but they still look pretty good. They're still in that sort of honeymoon phase where they're squandering all of the capital that capitalism produced for them. And you take this snapshot and you look and you see this big social welfare state and you say, well, hey, look, see, socialism works. Look at, look at Norway. Look at Denmark. It's like, no, 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 no. It just hasn't destroyed that country yet. And they're actually starting to roll back a lot of those socialist policies. They, they did the same thing with Venezuela 10, 15 years ago. That It was the shining star of socialism because they hadn't squandered all the wealth yet. And now look where they are. Sweden, I mean, Sweden has followed Ron Paul's advice to a T. Okay, they had sound money. They stayed out of foreign entanglements. They, they stayed out of both world wars. So, I mean, they were very libertarian. They were very libertarian. They, they, no, no, uh... No war and sound money. I mean, sign me up for that. So you see, it was all the wealth and capital that they had acquired while they were not bombing the shit out of people, while they were not um, running the printing press and, and destroying the value of their money. It was all that wealth that they accumulated that allowed them to implement socialist policies later on down the road. Just to go back to the whole real socialism question, if, if that wasn't if none of those examples are real socialism what is exactly 
what is real socialism? And shouldn't that in and of itself just raise questions as to whether or not socialism can ever be successfully implemented if every single time it's tried throughout history, that wasn't the right way of doing it? And it's not just like, oops, we screwed up. It, that didn't really work. It's, oops, we screwed up, and tens of millions of people died. It, like, epically failed, starved to death, or killed by their own government. I mean, these are, these are not just minor, minor tweaks in the system. Like, we just need to vote in the right guy. And it really is a tragedy, just a tragedy. Not, not just all the people that have died under socialist regimes, but the hundreds of millions of people over the years that have died, we'll put them aside for a second if we can, okay? But just the toll of human suffering in general, the millions of other people who, weren't, who didn't die but were not free to do what they wanted, who weren't free to pursue their own interests. They weren't free to write that book or compose that song or start that business. I mean, hundreds of millions of people who weren't allowed to reach their full potential that we talked about on last week's show. I mean, who knows what kind of world we would live in today if those people hadn't been killed, had been allowed to pursue whatever it is that they wanted to do, if those people had been allowed to create their masterpiece, to put their stamp on the world, uh, to make their glorious contribution to society. I mean, I, for all we know, the, the person who could solve all these climate change problems I keep hearing about is locked up in some re-education camp in North Korea. I mean, for all you socialists out there who think you hate capitalism, your ideology may have starved to death the one person who is going to come up with an even better system than capitalism. I mean, who knows? That may be possible. I've always stipulated that capitalism isn't a utopia. It's simply the best system that we know of to create more wealth and more opportunity for people than ever before. It may not be the best, but it's the best that we've come up with so far. But just the loss of human potential due to the ideology of socialism is unfathomable. Unfathomable. Who knows what the world would look like today if all of those people weren't shackled by the ideology of socialism. And we need to stop this malarkey once and for all before it's too late. <laughs> and yes, I use that term malarkey as my way of transitioning from something horrific to something hilarious and horrific because there have been some somewhat significant developments in the Democratic nomination field. We had, um, <laughs> say it ain't so, Joe, old sleepy, creepy, finger-sucking, hairy-legged Joe Biden has started his no malarkey tour. Malarkey. I wonder how many people of his followers actually know what malarkey means. That'll be an interesting lemming question. But he started this no malarkey tour I guess he needed to reinforce just how old of a guy he actually is by using jargon from the 1950s. <laughs> Apparently, you know, his dentures falling out of his head and episodes of dementia, not being able to put a thought together, th those weren't quite getting the job done. So he had to come up with a tour using jargon from 70 years ago that, that was hip when Fonzie 
<laughs> was walking around in his leather jacket. Uh, malarkey. Oh, my God. But, man, has he been on a roll this week. Or I guess that was last, was it late last week? I don't know. I got mixed up because of the vacation and the holidays and stuff like that. <laughs> but um, in, in the span of a few days, this guy managed to suck his wife's fingers on national TV. And then he gives this bumbling, rambling speech, which is just something you would hear from a senile dementia patient in an old person's home, which is where Joe Biden needs to be. I, I mean, I'm sorry. His wife needs to just pull him aside and put him in a home. It, it's time. It's getting to be cruel. <laughs> as much as as much joy as I get out of it, I got a really sick sense of humor. This this poor old guy needs to be just put to rest. <laughs> like get him off the campaign trail. He is he is losing it. He's losing it. But let's let's listen to the clip here because it's it is gold. This is this is of all. I mean, Joe Biden is a gaff machine. A gaff machine. I said that as soon as we started this whole nomination process. I was like, there's just no way. He, he is a gaff machine. But this, this might be the, the cringiest of all the Joe Biden gaffes. And that is really saying something. Mouse, thank you very, very much. Thank you. Can I, before we start, hey, all the kids, want to come up here and listen? Come on up here. Come up behind me. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I can't. That's how he enters the stage. He gets up there, and the first thing he does is turn to a bunch of kids in bathing suits and tells them to get up there and get behind him. I, I mean, what is it with this guy? He cannot help himself. He cannot help himself. I mean, at least he didn't nose hump any of them, at least not on camera. But how can you be that unaware of the situation, uh, unaware that you have this stigma about you, that, that people think you like to diddle little kids. And the first thing you do is call up a bunch of kids in bathing suits to get to come up and get around you. Uh, I'm sorry. That's how it starts out. And then he just goes on and just starts rambling on about all these stories. This is before he gets to the, the real cringy part that I'm going to play in a minute. But even before that, it's just a bunch of rambling nonsense. He's just like any thought that pops into his head, he just says it. He starts talking about how he was a lifeguard at this pool. And then there was some guy named Corn Pop who he had to yell at to get off the the diving board and then he, he had to go and fight him out in the in the parking lot he had to take this chain and uh he just he's all over the place these are just the ramblings of a senile old man and then he just jumps into this thing about his hairy legs here we go i came down here because i remember the first bumper sticker i saw that made me aware when i was in law school proudly for holloway proudly for your dad First African American state senator in the state of in the state of Delaware. Everything about. And by the way, you know, I sit on the stand and it get hot. I got a lot of I got hairy legs that turn that 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 that, that turn uh, um, blonde in the sun. And the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down. So it was straight and then watch the hair. Come back up again. 
they'd look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap. And I've loved kids jumping on my lap. Oh, my God. Okay. And I tell you what, the men, they're now all men, the guys I work with down here, and they're all guys at the time, they're all good men. Most of them made an awful lot of themselves. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, I did not cut up that part at all. He went right in from saying, like, some bumper sticker to his hairy legs and how kids would reach into the under the water and start rubbing the hair up and down his legs. Like, what the hell is this guy talking about? What is he talking about? And, oh, my God, I love little kids jumping on my lap. That was the creepiest part, and it never gets old. I watched this like 10 or 15 times right now, and I, I just can't stop laughing. I'm tearing up. It, it is the funniest thing I've ever seen. It, uh, simultaneously, just a sad, sad old man. I, I wonder if, because he was Johnny the Juice pick to win the nomination. I, will, I wish I could get Johnny the Jew back on the show just to ask him if he still thinks Joe Biden has a chance. Which apparently, I mean, these polls cannot be right. I, I just checked the real clear politics this morning, and he's still leading nationally by a lot. He's up plus nine on the national stage for the nomination. After that, after that, after sucking his wife's finger out of nowhere on national TV, I mean, this is un these polls just cannot be right. There is just no way this senile old man can make it through to next year. We're still a year away from this. There is just no way he gets the nomination. And by the way, we just got news. I'm recording this in the afternoon that um, Kamala Harris has dropped out of the race. So one another one bites the dust. Thank God she was not the worst, but she was definitely up there. Uh, I'm still waiting for some of the worst candidates to fall out of this. but So she's done. Bloomberg's in. We got to see our first round of Bloomberg commercials this past weekend. And, I mean, they were pretty bad. They're, he is just, he's trying to position himself to be this centrist guy to probably take over for the senile old man that's talking about his hairy legs and, and kids jumping on his lap. <laughs> and, um... You know, he's got to try to walk this line about how he's, yeah, he's a billionaire, but he's like the good kind of billionaire, you know. I just don't think that's going to play very well in the Democratic Party that spent the last six months vilifying billionaires. And you have Bernie Sanders coming out and Elizabeth Warren coming out, accusing him of him of trying to buy the election, okay, which is just laughable. All of these candidates are trying to buy the election. It's just that... With Bernie Sanders, as usual, and Elizabeth Warren, as usual, they want to buy it with other people's money. They want other people to buy things for them. At least with Bloomberg, he's using his own money. He, he's pledged to not take a dime from anybody to run. I mean, he's got like somewhere upwards of $50 billion with a B dollars, which is, I mean, he, he amassed his fortune, as I mentioned in a previous show, selling these trading terminals, these information terminals that they use on Wall Street and basically any trade desk has to use these Bloomberg terminals. And um, they're astronomically expensive. He's definitely benefited from the cheap money from the Federal Reserve. That's a, a topic for another show. Um, 
But yeah, he's got like 10 times the amount uh, of net worth that Donald Trump does. So that'll be kind of interesting to see. As I know Trump's already coming up, coming up with all these nicknames for him because he's short and Donald Trump's kind of tall. And Bloomberg's like this little guy. He's calling him Little Michael, Mini Mike. I think Mini Mike might stick. Little Michael is a little more condescending. I was talking about this with some of my friends uh, the other night. We were texting. And um, I think Little Michael has a better ring to it. But I don't I mean, it, it does. But it's also very similar to Little Marco, which, I mean, that was great. And it was successful. And you know what they say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And it is definitely more condescending, like you're kind of patting him on the head. Oh, little Michael. But mini Mike, I don't know. It's got the brevity. It's got the the zing to it. We'll see. We'll see what sticks. But uh, Trump will definitely brand him mini Mike. And we'll see if he can come over the top and start talking about their bank accounts. Because Trump's got nothing on Bloomberg in terms of money. And Bloomberg was a self-made billionaire. He wasn't gifted any of this money. He wasn't given a small, you know, million dollar loan or whatever Trump says his dad gave him. He he wasn't born into wealth. He he came from like a middle class family and he 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 was a self-made man. And Trump got, you know, he had he had born with a silver spoon. And he, he granted he took millions and turned it into billions or whatever, but uh that's not nearly the same as as what Bloomberg did. And he turned it into 10 times at least whatever Trump says he has. So um, if I were Bloomberg, uh, that's what I would hit Trump with, his tiny bank account compared to me. Maybe his tiny hands too, because that'll really get under his skin. But I don't think Bloomberg has it in him. Um, Forgot where I was going with all this. It would be funny, though. I I do have to check in with Johnny the Jew and see if he thinks that Biden's still going to get this nomination. I don't see how anybody in their right mind could vote for this guy. He's he's lost it. He was losing it. He's officially lost it. I mean, if you listen to that whole clip, it's a it's like a twelve minute speech. He can hold it together for about five minutes, and then he just starts going off the reservation. He's all over the place. He's just hopping from one story to another. Whatever pops into his head. And that's like the case with dementia. You know, your brain just starts jumping around, making all these weird connections. Some guy named Corn Pop on a diving board. He's a real tough dude. Um, he's just recalling all these old stories from his childhood, like like my grandpa did when he was 97 years old. Anyway, I have no idea what the point of that whole press conference was. Uh, something about, you know, getting a bunch of black people around you and talking about how you were in this black neighborhood and you were a lifeguard, I guess. Makes him uh, a man of the people. <laughs> I have no idea what he was trying to accomplish. He just strung together a bunch of incoherent stories, rambled on for 10 minutes, and then it was over. So um, that went really well. I don't know who's in charge of his campaign, but they need to be fucking let go. They need to be fired. Big league. And Joe Biden just needs to be taken out. Like Somebody really has to just pull him aside and just be like, Joe, it's over, buddy. It's over. We we need to get you into a home like immediately before you hurt yourself or someone else. But um oh also in those those polls I was looking at Mayor Pete Mayor Pete surging to the front in uh, New Hampshire he's up a lot and I think I might have called that early on Mayor Pete was one of I think if I remember correctly one of the three when Johnny Jew Johnny the Jew pinned me down to pick three people that I thought might. Uh, 
be front runners for the nomination. I think I I threw in him and uh, Yang, and then jokingly that crazy woman, um, can't uh, Marianne Williamson. <laughs> I think those are my three. I could be wrong, but uh, Mayor Pete's basically the only one that uh, the only one of these candidates that's left that hasn't made a complete fool of himself yet. And he just you know seems presidential. He doesn't really say anything. Doesn't really hurt himself. Doesn't really inspire anybody. But he's not a bumbling buffoon. He's not a senile old man. He's not a vindictive fake Indian. And um, I, he doesn't have the crazy look in his eyes that Cory Booker has. That guy just looks like a lunatic. So we'll see. Mayor Pete might might win some of these early primaries and carry a lot of that momentum to victory. And as for Kamala Harris, I can't say she will be missed. I know Tulsi Gabbard's probably laughing to herself right now. She's having fun. She's having a good day. I, I still feel like she's going to be somebody's VP. Whoever gets the nomination will probably take her as, as VP. It just seems like that's where we're headed. And um, uh, yeah, so a Biden-Kamala Harris ticket. That'll be one for the ages. God help you. If Biden gets this nomination, I whatever faith I I have actually no faith. So I can't lose any faith in this system. But it, whatever faith you have in this system, if Joe Biden, a senile old man who has completely lost his mind, who cannot keep his hands to him, cannot keep his nose to himself, cannot keep his teeth in his head, cannot stop touching children, talking about how he likes to touch children. If he gets this nomination and he is he is your great hope at defeating Donald Trump, that should eliminate any faith that you had in whatever the hell we're calling this system of government now. Anyway, I'm going to leave it there. As usual, guys, make sure you download and subscribe and share the show with your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction, and you can go to our website to donate to the show to help us expand our reach. And if you can do all that, I will be back later this week. Hopefully, I am actually going to Phoenix this weekend for a little golf outing with my old man. So I leave Friday night. I will see if I can get an episode recorded before then that I can maybe drop either Friday or maybe this weekend. I want to give you some time to listen to this episode. Some of you may be behind from uh, Thursday's episode because of the holidays and then all the Black Friday nonsense and the Cyber Monday and you shop till you drop. So uh, I'll see if I can get another episode out later this week. And until then, just remember to keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace. Peace.